Um, works every time. Yeah. I needed to start. Well, this uh, chapter three is, uh, I think, a noteworthy chapter in that he tells Timothy about uh, overseers and deacons and uh, gives him what we call the qualifications uh, to that. So, uh, someone who want to read chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, uncontentious, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? <clears throat> and not a new convert, lest he become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he may not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. <coughs> so, he says in 1 Timothy 3, Verse 1, that uh, it's a fine work to aspire to the office of overseer. Now, some of the points, I think, of this would be well understood, but it, I'll say them anyway, that the Bible speaks of this work of overseer by using some other terms for the same people. You know, when you do a job, you may be a secretary slash receptionist slash bookkeeper. You're kind of, you're, you've got one position, but you've got several different roles you're fulfilling in that one position. And that's true with these men. They're, they're one set of men, but they actually have different uh, aspects of their work. And one of the aspects of their work is to be an overseer. Now, what does it mean to be an overseer? Your responsibility? Responsibility? Responsible. Responsible? What would be a synonym for overseer? Foreman or? Yes, I like that word. Foreman, supervisor, someone who has responsibility in the sense that they have charge over the people. They are the ones who are to see to it that the others are doing things right. I believe the word overseer is probably the term that does the most for showing that these men actually have authority. They're not just good examples. They actually have foreman responsibilities. Um, there is a word that, that sometimes in the older translations was used instead of overseer. Do you know what the old word for overseer was in some of the translations? Bishop. Bishop. Yes. And all bishop means is overseer. Although, in various kinds of churches, bishop may mean all sorts of things. And it's also used in chess, but anyway. <laughs> um, now, what's another word that describes kind of a different angle on the work of an overseer, but another term we could use to describe them? Shepherd. Shepherd. And that emphasizes what kind of work? Kind of leading or... Leading, <coughs> feeding, caring, caring, protecting, yes. 
You've got all those chapters in the Old Testament that condemn the bad shepherds and talk about good shepherds that really help, like Zechariah 11, Ezekiel 34, Jeremiah 23, and so forth. Good passage to look at, uh, Isaiah 56, uh, to kind of define out the shepherd's role. And you've got passages like John 10 and Psalm 23 that talk about the Lord and Jesus as being the shepherd. Uh, so these overseers are responsible to care for and especially to provide spiritual nourishment for the Christians. Now there's another older term that some Bibles have instead of shepherd that means exactly the same thing. What's the older term for shepherd? Pastor. A pastor is a shepherd. And again, in churches, oh, that means all sorts of things. But really, it's just another word for shepherd. Now, what's a third word that we can use for those same guys? Presbyter. Presbyter, that's the old word. And what's the uh, more, the, in the newer translation, instead of presbyter, what will they have? Elder. Elder, yeah. <laughs> presbyter is just an old-fashioned word for elder. And uh, the idea of an elder... Well, what would, what would you say about the word elder? What would that define out as far as this man is concerned? Maturity. Maturity. Age. And leadership. Because the elders of a city or of the congregation of Israel or whatever were the mature men who were looked to as the leaders. Now, how do we know that elders, shepherds, and overseers are the same people? Lucky guess. <laughs> how can we prove that? <clears throat> Aren't some of them used in the same context? Yeah, in the, in nowhere. And David, either. Um, that's not where I was going. So no. Ty, uh, what would you Where did you go? Where were you going? I was going to Titus. Okay. Titus won't nail it down as succinctly. Where were you? What did you say? Overseer and steward are both in Titus. Right. Acts okay. twenty. Acts twenty is a good one. Look at Acts twenty. There's really two passages that I think really help us in this. Acts 20.17, he calls the elders of the church. And in 28, he says, Be on guard uh, for yourselves and for the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. So you've got elders, overseer, and the verb shepherd, all in the same context. <laughs> also, 1 Peter 5 does the very same thing. And this pretty well nails it down, I think. Peter exhorts the elders, 1 Peter 5, 1, as a fellow elder, and he tells him in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. So, shepherd, oversight, <coughs> elders. So those two passages really help us see that those are different angles on the same people. They have some a combination of functions. Um, so, that's what he's talking about here. And it's a good work. He uh, encourages this work. Actually, it's probably appropriate that somebody would aspire to the office of an overseer. You know what it means to aspire to the office? 
It's translated desire. Yeah, want it. Well, that may seem a little weird <laughs> that you would commend somebody for wanting to be an elder, wanting to be a shepherd, overseer. Why? Why would it be good for somebody to want to do that? It's an honorable job. It glorifies God. It's necessary. Would you think it good for somebody to desire the work of cleaning the church building? Would you consider that to be a, a good thing on their part? A good attitude? Yeah. We would all sort of, you know, appreciate. We are terrible. We don't have a whole lot of people. And we're kind of lazy. And I noticed that, you know, we didn't really fill up the building cleaning list. We take month about. And so in the last five months, every other month, and that is now three months out of the last five, the same couple has signed the list because nobody else has done it. And I really appreciate them. They're also the family that pretty much just said, quit putting up a lawn mowing list, we'll do it. And things like that. Now, you appreciate that because you see, man, they want to work. And that's exactly what they want. They want to do everything they can to help. They have three small children, and that doesn't stop them. Doesn't even slow them down. So that's really cool. We don't necessarily look at eldering that way. Because so often, rather than seeing it as a work to do, we almost see it as an honor. You know, it'd be like somebody raising their hand that they, you know, want to win a prize. You know, they want to be, you know, they want to get the medal or something like that. And so that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. We wouldn't really think it was good, you know, to to really desire to uh, win some sort of an honor. You know, that's something that, you know, we shouldn't be so focused on because that's sort of for our own glory. Well, this isn't for glory. This is a work. It's a hard work. It's a difficult job. It really needs to be done. You know, the building also needs to be clean. But, you know, brethren need to be shepherded. There need to be some people who are willing to take the responsibility of superintending, of overseeing, uh, of really taking leadership, and really caring about the well-being of the flock and putting themselves out to take care of them. So, this is not weird that he'd think it was good to desire it. Once we understand, it's a work. And really, it's good that we have uh, young men here and some potential wives of young men, uh, eventually, probably. Uh, because it's really good to think about this now. It would be really good for you guys and uh, your girls' husbands to uh, study and to work and to develop themselves to be able to perform this function. And some of the, we'll see some of the qualities you've got to have some of them you're not going to get overnight. You know, some of them you better start pretty young developing. And uh, so this is kind of a good goal, even when you're younger, that once you get older, you could serve in this way. I don't know, I mean, I know you guys who are at Avon have been blessed with good elders. Uh, and some of the rest of you may or may not have ever been in those situations. But it's really awesome when there are good elders. That is such a tremendous thing. <laughs> Uh, I haven't been in that situation very often, but I have. And man, what a blessing. Uh, and just just really, really, uh, you know, helpful. So uh, it's worth working to develop into this kind of a person. All right, thoughts or comments on the first verse? <laughs> Took me a while to 
involved in this. Um, well, when he starts telling us what an overseer must be, I think he's sort of saying that there are only certain kind of people that could do this kind of work. Don't you have some kind of a list of um, sort of requirements to do certain jobs? I mean, uh, it may be even in your uh, shop that that if you've got a job available, there are there's a certain skill set required or maybe some kind of experience required, or some kind of work history required, or some kind of schooling required, or whatever. Maybe a combination of a lot of those things. You're, because, I mean, um, what if, what if uh, a hospital was trying to hire a brain surgeon? You know, um, would he need certain talents and abilities and certain uh, education and so forth? Well, we hope so, <laughs> you know? I mean, obviously, some jobs, you, you, I mean, it's not arbitrary. I mean, you know, if you've, um, you know, never had any experience dealing with human body, you just aren't able to do brain surgery. You know, you're not going to get the job done properly uh, if, if you haven't got these skills. So this is kind of like, if you're going to do this kind of work, there are certain kinds of things that you just have to have. And if you're not like this, then you won't do this well. And when we look over those qualities in general, what strikes you about them overall? Well, as you just kind of glance down through them, as we read down through them from two through seven, is there anything that sort of stands out to you about this list? Most of it is required for everyone who's a Christian. That is true. You wouldn't necessarily have thought that, would you? But that's exactly right. There, with very few exceptions, these actually are the qualities all Christians are supposed to have. That's a good point. What else stands out about this list? A certain thing he says that stands out? Or? No, just kind of about, just kind of summing them all up. It kind of strikes, the, the qualifications he gives aren't necessarily what I would have expected. I mean, uh, what kind of education do they need, according to the qualifications? What kind of you know, um, what, what, what all do they need to have achieved in their Christian life? You know, what kind of abilities do they need to have? That's not really where this is focused primarily, even though that, that might very well be what you use for job description for other kinds of jobs in the secular world. But here, it's primarily what kind of qualifications? Character. Character, yeah. That's really what it takes here. It's not you've got to have a certain IQ or you've got to have a certain, you know, a diploma or whatever. It takes a certain kind of character. And uh, so, look at them. He says he must be above reproach. That may be kind of a general term, really. You know, I mean, if there's some terrible flaw in the man, he couldn't serve, obviously. Maybe something that isn't even specifically covered by these qualifications, but, you know, he if... if if he's well known for some, you know, grievous sin, then, you know, he's not qualified. But then he starts talking more specifically. The husband of one wife. Now, there are several things you might think about with that, but what's the main point of that qualification? Married. <laughs> that is a point I don't think is the main point. That is a point. I don't think it's the main point. What's the main point of saying that? What? That's a point, but it's not the main point. Companionship. It's a point, but it's not the main point. 
What's, what's the real emphasis in that qualification, at least in my judgment? Yes. One wife. Does that mean monogamous, or does it mean that he hasn't been divorced and married again, or... Well, we'll look at that in a second, but clearly the emphasis is he's a faithful husband. He doesn't run around on his wife. He's not the kind of guy who you really wouldn't trust, you know, around women. He's, he's a one-woman man. That, that, in fact, the original kind of almost lends itself to that kind of a translation. So the main point is he's faithful to his marriage vows. He's a husband of one wife. He's not somebody with a mistress on the side or whatever. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I think the other questions and the other things we've said are we need to think about, and, and I think some of those are implied, but I think it's amazing how we almost miss the main focus sometimes when we go through qualifications like this in asking some questions we need to ask, but let's start with the main point is that. Now, uh, I do think he has to be a man. <laughs> I agree with that. Um, and I do agree. It means he's got to be married, you know, and yes. I just had a discussion with someone this past week about this very thing, and um, they believe that if an elder has been an elder for a long time and his wife dies, he's now a widower, um, that he's still qualified to be an elder. And I disagreed because it specifically says husband. That is a very good question. <laughs> um, let, let's go to a couple of easier points first <laughs> and then come back to that. Um, it seems to me that if somebody was divorced and remarried and they didn't divorce for the for cause of fornication, they clearly would not be the husband of one wife. Now, you might question why they were even in the congregation, but somebody who is unscripturally remarried would clearly be outlawed by this. Um, now, what about somebody who divorced for the cause of fornication and married again? In my understanding, that person is still the husband of one wife. And he's still a faithful, a man faithful to his marriage vows. So I don't believe this would exclude someone who is properly divorced and remarried. Now the question of a widower is more complicated. Now in the early church, a lot of thinking that remarried widowers could not serve as elders. That was a very common thought. He wanted to be the husband of one wife. Um, I doubt that that's the case. Again, I would think that's still a one-woman man. Now, I pretty much, until recently, have taken the position that a widower could not serve as an elder. However, look at chapter 5 and verse 9. A woman, is, a woman is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old. Now, we got a couple of italicized words that are obvious, but it says, the wife of one man. <laughs> having a reputation for good works, and so forth. Um, I, clearly it means having been the wife of one man, but what it says is the wife of one man. Now, she's the wife of one man saying she's been maritally faithful. She hadn't been running around on her husband. She hadn't unscripturally, wasn't unscripturally divorced, remarried, etc. Uh, that 
has swung me back around to thinking I'm not convinced that a widow will be excluded by this passage. And for just for that reason. Um, when I see the roles that the wives of qualified elders play in the support, I tend to think that where it says husband, it really does mean someone who is married to a living wife just because of the responsibilities and the kind of support that that, that man would need. I think that's a reasonable argument from that perspective. And I think you can see, um, you know, good points in that. That may be the case. I uh, would certainly belittle the position that a widower could not serve, but 5-9 does give me a problem, so... <laughs> Except that's specifically talking about widows. But it shows that that kind of language does not exclude mm-hmm. widows. I don't know. Uh, I've just pretty fairly recently changed my view on that. I've argued the other side. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm right. Sometimes I change my view to the wrong things. <laughs> but, but, um, I mean that's that's the problem, you know. Is five nine? I think. Um, so I don't know. You can think about that. Um, but again, don't forget the main point here is he's faithful to his marriage vows. Now, look at some of these other qualifications. I'm going to look at all of them in detail, but a few of them, I think, several of them, actually, are worth talking about in some detail. The next word, temperate, in my translation, means well-balanced, self-controlled, sort of calm, cool, and collected. That's the idea. You know, a flighty, unstable person would not work. And have a flighty shepherd. Uh, prudent, that is, balanced in judgment. Again, stable, trustworthy. Those two words are very similar, temperate and prudent. Respectable, respectable is similar also. Respectable means that their life shows planning and purpose. Their life shouldn't be continual confusion of just unaccomplished plans and unorganized activity. Really, all three of those terms are are similar. And then he's to be hospitable. Uh, and we understand that. Able to teach. Now, that may be a qualification that we would say is not automatically required of all brethren. So most of the others are things that should be true of all. <laughs> but able to teach is a special qualification for an elder. Because an elder's primary role is teaching. I don't think we realize that. But I believe that's the Bible emphasis. In the qualifications in Titus, he's got to be, hold fast to sound doctrine to refute the false teacher. In 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders that rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor hard at preaching and teaching. And... In Acts 20, in 1 Peter 5, they shepherd the flock, they feed the flock, and so forth and so on. Nearly every passage that deals anything with the work of a shepherd indicates it's a teaching work. I think that's the primary thought of the work of an elder. Now, there's more to it than that, but 
that is key. Um, not elders are not primarily business managers or decision makers. When we say, I hear people praying, oh, I did. Please be with the <laughs> elders as they oversee the work of the congregation. Well, I guess an elder does oversee the work of the congregation, but primarily he oversees the people, not the work. Or God be with the elders in the, their decisions. Well, I'm sure they have to make a lot of decisions, but their primary work is never done behind the closed doors of an elder's you know, office. The primary work is done with the sheep. So, I will use this illustration. I've probably used this before. Maybe all of you have heard me say this, but I was really impressed. <laughs> when elders I knew one time decided that the church probably needed an addition to their church building. They went to the deacons and said, um, you guys are the servants that the church has uh, selected to take care of things. Uh, a building addition is needed, and that's your role, not ours. So you all plan it. You all decide what needs to be done. You all get the financing for it. You all see what needs to be done and do it and take charge of it, and we don't want to know anything more about it. I thought that was pretty awesome. And that's exactly what happened. And the elders continued shepherding the flock, and the deacons took care of adding to the building. <laughs> you know, I mean, by contrast, most elders I know would be the ones who would be doing most of the work on the building. <laughs> not that it's wrong for an elder to work on the building, it's just like that's not their primary role. Or at least would insist on having their hand in almost every detail. That's not their primary role. You know, I'm not trying to take something away from them. I'm just saying, wow, their work is so much different from primarily dealing with things like that. That's, that would be much more suited to a deacon's role. So, an elder is a teacher. Comments and thoughts on verse 2. Can an elder, can a man become an elder if his children are not grown? If they <laughs> so wait till we get to the household qualification. Okay, I'll talk about that a little bit. Alright, uh, then in three, some negative qualities to avoid. What's he supposed to avoid? Wine. Yeah, indulgence in wine, that makes sense. Violence. Drunk elders not going to do too well. Yeah, violence, being aggressive, being uh, argumentative, easily angered, all that I think would be in the idea of uh, not pugnacious. And what else is he to have his life free from? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? He's not supposed to be greedy. That is also in the qualifications for deacons and also in the qualifications in Titus for elders. And all three of those lists are not to be greedy. We do not think, teach, or preach enough on greed. When we think about terrible sins people are guilty of, we think of sexual sins, we think of, you know, uh, substance abuse, we think of temper sins, we think of, um, you know, what else? Uh, I don't know, various things. Yeah, but... But when, where down the list does greed and covetousness go? It, it ought to be right up there. I think it's because we, we, 
we believe it's so hard to know what qualifies as greed. And that may be because there's an element in many that, you know, it's almost like, well, it has to be worse than my greed, so. Relative things tend to get relegated uh, away, you know. We just tend to think, oh, well, you know, it's, it's relative, so doesn't mean anything. Is not the right approach. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute with these qualifications too. And in the world's approach, I mean, in the world's view, greed is well. Of course not. Greed is uh, advisable. It's a necessary ambition. Yeah, exactly. We we have a lot of other terms we use for uh, greed. The world uh, rarely calls sins by their true names. He gives here also these special qualifications, special situations that have actually the reasons attached to these. So you might look at them a little bit. In verses 4 and 5, he must manage his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Clearly his skill in maintaining his household uh, is kind of uh, an, an analogy to his skill in taking care of the church family. And if he doesn't do that well, if he doesn't, if he's not respectable and serious and have good kids, and good family, and good home, he's not qualified as, as an overseer. Now Titus, this creates a lot of question mark for us, Titus in chapter 1 and verse 7, says that, uh, actually, where is it? 1-6. Uh, he has to have children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. Now, I think that's a qualification. <laughs> but I find it very shallow that we would spend 95% of our time on that qualification and just what percent of our time do we spend on temperate, prudent, respectable, you know, free from the love of money, and some of those? Now, I think I know why we do that. <coughs> if we can figure out what having believing children means, we can quantify it. Well, have they been baptized or not? There you have it. Either or. When it comes to respectable, and hospitable, and free from the love of money... Those are relative. They are. And we just kind of ignore them because they're hard to quantify. And because they're a little harder to detect. Is a man pugnacious? Is he quick-tempered and argumentative? Well, you might not have seen him be that, but I have. So, I mean, there's a whole lot of more challenge to, to evaluating the man on those other things if he's the husband of one wife and he's got believing children, that, that stuff is, you know, ironclad to us. I think we've got to resist the temptation to put most of our emphasis on the quantifiable qualifications. I think these are qualifications. I'm not trying to get them to be ignored. I'm trying to get the others to get some attention. That's what I want. Um, I remember, this is amazing, in the church where I am now, this person is no longer alive, but... Uh, good person, but uh, been several years ago in a business meeting, said well, you know, I think it's time this church has elders, and we got some men here with believing children, I think so and so so and so and so and so ought to be elders I thought, wow (laughs) that isn't most of us wouldn't say it that way 
But isn't that what a lot of people think? Hey, he's got kids who are Christians. Why can't he be an elder? I, maybe you guys who are younger may never have seen the Attitudes Brethren having that. Maybe I've only been in those situations. But I've seen that a lot. And uh, it seems to me like his children need to be Christians. Uh, I think that's probably what Titus is saying. Here in First Timothy, I don't think he's dealing with that from that standpoint. He's just got to be a good manager of his household. Uh, but I don't think that's the only thing. I think there's a lot of parents who have children who are Christians, and the husband or the father is not qualified to be an elder. <laughs> but if his kids aren't faithful to the Lord, I don't think he would be qualified. All of his kids? I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't make that statement, but I think he has to have some. Uh, so he does have to have kids to be in there? Yeah, it looks to me like it. Uh, I, even here. I mean, you know, he has to keep his children under control with all dignity. If he has none, that would be difficult. Now, if he adopted some kids at birth or whatever, I, I mean, I don't think they have to be biological children. But, uh, but I think he has to have raised children. Because he has to have experience. Yeah. Because even even says later, he can't be a novice. Well, and, and he has to he has to have proven that he can do this kind of work. He's going to be fathering the church. He's got to have been able to father well his own children. Mark? But um, if there's an elder that's, uh, he's, one of his kids is withdrawn from him. All right, that's a good question. Go back to Titus. Um, one. The overseer must be above, uh, one six, I keep getting the wrong verse. If any man is above reproach the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. Now, I'm not sure that all of his kids, if somebody had six kids and one of them is, you know, a fine citizen but never obeyed the gospel and the other five are wonderful Christians, I personally wouldn't see that as a disqualification. However, I know a situation, not real intimately, where there is a man who's serving as an elder, whose boy has been in the paper over and over again, he's been in and out of jail, he's done almost everything. And uh, I think even if the guy had, and he doesn't, a dozen other kids who were faithful, one kid accused of riot and rebellion, one kid who's just, you know, tearing up the town, probably would disqualify him. Uh, but I think uh, one kid who's a respectable citizen and the rest of them are faithful to the Lord, I'm not persuaded that that disqualifies him, though I would certainly respect someone who said they thought it did. Which raises the question, if some of these things are relative, then what is the standard? Good question. I think we have to um, look at whether or not on balance we would consider the man to fit that quality. Take not pugnacious, you know, not quickly angry, not a fighter, not argumentative. I would not think that you would call a man pugnacious because one time several years ago, under great stress, he lost his temper and said something he shouldn't have said. I, I wouldn't say he was pugnacious, if that's the story. But in general, he's been a man well-disciplined. I would say he is, if it's pretty common, and people pretty much know that, you know, you, he's going to bite your head off, you know, if you challenge him. Now, 
I think it's true that we may come up with somebody in the middle that we're struggling to decide. And some of that will depend on our perception of the man. You've seen him in different contexts than I have. And I think we'll have to talk quite a bit and pray quite a bit and work on, you know, those situations. And try to, you know, on balance, is the man, uh, well, let's go back to uh, 1 Timothy 3, on balance, is the man temperate? Is he balanced and self-controlled? Well, he did something stupid a few years ago. I wouldn't necessarily, for me, mean I would consider him not temperate. But if he's a man given to frequent excesses, if he's a man rarely thinking things through before he acts, then clearly he's not. There's going to be somebody in the middle that we're not going to agree on completely. That, well, I think he is not the most temperate person I ever saw, but I think he is, and you're like, I've seen him... You know, be pretty unstable. I don't think he is. And I think we'll have to work together and try to decide, does this term, is it a good description of him or not? Um, I don't know any other way to deal with it. I have never heard of a church that ever had a discussion about some of these qualifications. I wonder if that's not a problem. Um, But I would think that it might be necessary. And that we'd have to have respect and we'd have to... I, I would give priority to people who know him well. You know, I mean, a lot of people put on a good face in public. But if you work with him, you might see a different side of him. And you might know some things about him. If you're his next-door neighbor, you might have heard some things, you know, coming out of the house next door, you know, and things were a little tense. That would have, uh, you know, disqualified him. Maybe other people wouldn't know about that. Other thoughts? That leads to the next question. Who decides? Well, that's a good question. I figured you'd have some good questions. Um, let, me, let me say this. I've heard the quote maybe from you. A church will get the exact elders they deserve. <laughs> now, that's the truth. I've heard that quote from you. <laughs> I don't remember where I got it. Qualified for one congregation and not in another. Well, let's let me hold that one and answer the first one. Um, I think the whole question of who decides has several angles to it. I think the bottom line is the Holy Spirit decides by the qualifications. But of course, the question is who decides if he really fits the qualification. I mean, it's not up to us to determine. It's up to uh, the, anything other than is he fitting the qualification or not? Um, yeah, the analogy of Acts 6, the congregation selected the men fitting the qualifications to oversee the Grecian widows. Other passages indicate that people like Timothy and Titus and Paul and so forth appointed the elders. I am assuming, though, they would have had information from people in the congregation about who's who fits those qualifications. I mean, you know, otherwise how would they know who to appoint? So my guess is that the congregation needs to decide this about like you decide anything else. The congregation comes to a consensus based upon the Word of God, based upon discussion and brotherly attitudes, keeping in mind the priority of the Word of God. And when that's been done, uh, perhaps an evangelist, I would say, 
will be the one who should do the appointing. I think that's probably the biblical pattern. Um, but I think the congregation would have to decide and have to be just the church working together with mutual respect and with respect for these qualifications. Now, I imagine it would be wise if there's a significant element in the group that really thinks he is pugnacious, it'd probably be better not to appoint him. Even though the majority might say we haven't seen him that way. I don't know. I would say that if a minority <laughs> thinks he's pugnacious, they, don't they have a responsibility to go to him as you would, because that's sinful, to try to rectify it? And, I mean... A man who was pugnacious ten years ago may not be pugnacious now, too. And There's so many factors. You, you would have an opportunity to repent of those things and eventually become qualified. I agree with this. We really need to have pure hearts when we do this. If we got an axe to grind with somebody, we're going to find something to disqualify them on. Um... But, I don't know if you'd go to the man, necessarily, if you found him imprudent. I mean, you might work with him. I don't know that you would necessarily just confront him, unless he was being thought about as an elder. I mean, you know, I know a man who is, and this has been a good while ago, not in the congregation where I am or anything like that, but that I didn't know the man well. And he came to me. He was being considered as an elder. There was some opposition to him in the congregation. And he wanted to know how to deal with that. And while I had not told him this before, I told him, well, I don't think you qualify. And... I don't remember now, it's been a long time ago, exactly what all I said, but probably prudent would be one of the first qualifications I think he doesn't have. Not a bad person, but not very not very wise, not very balanced, not very um, mature, even though good guy. Um... So I, I don't know that I did wrong by not having gone to him and challenged him in that. I had and have done some things to try to help him in developing a little bit more strength in those areas. He was appointed, and to his credit, he was not upset with me for telling him I didn't think he was qualified. It wasn't in the church I'm part of or anything like that, so I didn't feel any need to do anything else. Um, but, you know, I mean, so... I don't know so much. The only qualification that I would think might be relative to the group would be the next one. Not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. Um, maybe a new convert depends on uh, just how long people in the group have been Christians. I mean, you know, it looks to me like Paul appointed elders in uh, some of those churches within a few months after uh, they've been established. But if everybody's been a Christian for a few months or less, then if you've been a Christian for quite a few months, then, you know, you're not the new converts, you're some of the older converts. So I think that one might be relative. The others, I don't see that they are. If there is a person that, or two people, 
that they follow all the regulations they are apt to being an elder, are they obligated to be an elder? Well, I think the answer to that is no. Uh, although it may, it depends on why they don't want to be. I mean, if somebody, you know, has all the qualifications to clean the building, and they're just too lazy and too selfish that they want to, they don't want to clean the building, I'd say, well, they should have. And if somebody has the qualifications to be an elder and just is too lazy or selfish to want to do the work, well, that's sad. <laughs> he ought to want to do everything he can. However, uh, I don't know that I would ever be, you know, considered by anyone qualified to be an elder, but I thought about myself. If I was in a situation where I was being considered for that, I would have to weigh out very carefully other responsibilities that I had. And I think I might well decide that I am better suited as an evangelist. Not that you couldn't do both, but my evangelism is here, there, and everywhere. <laughs> and I couldn't do that as an elder nearly as much. And I'm not sure, I mean, it wouldn't be for me a matter of not wanting to do the work. It'd be a matter of which work do I think God would want me to do. So I could conceive of some situations in which a man might say no for one reason or another that are good reasons I, I don't choose to do this work. I don't think it ought to be for selfishness or laziness or something like that. It's not a man that, I mean, from all these qualifications, I know him very well. And he is qualified. Um, but he is shy. He, he doesn't have very much confidence in himself. And the, I think that is probably why he would not do it. So I was just wondering whether or not. Well, he'd have to overcome his shyness to the extent that he'd reach out to the people in the flock or he wouldn't be able to. Well, he does that. It's just he, he's not very outspoken when he when he needs to be. He will be, but not just. And then that may not be a problem for his qualifications, and perhaps he ought to consider it. Uh, you know, in a practical sense, we've been talking a little bit about how to point, um, because y'all may be in these situations. This is not a huge point or anything, but but I thought this was a pretty good procedure, um, and maybe illustrates working through some of these things. When I moved to the church in Alabama, where I went. Uh, they just split, and the elders had left to resign. Uh, two of them had left, four of them had resigned. And so there were no elders, and they had had elders for 27 years straight. And the group that was still there, 200 people, were divided. About two-thirds of them thought that they should have withdrawn from the group that left, and about one-third of them almost left with the group that left. So there was quite a split in the group that was there. And we need to appoint elders. You know, I mean, there were, at least theoretically, some men appointed and qualified to serve. That was really difficult to do in a united way. You know, I mean, because you've got some hard feelings and tensions, and you've got a lot of things that happened in the split that were not very edifying, and some question marks about some people and their behavior in that. And uh, what, what we did is we took several business meetings, and we talked about how are we going to do this. And I took a lot of time and talked one at a time with people about what their ideas were, and kind of tried to work behind the scenes on forging a consensus. And we finally worked out an elaborate procedure that I think really helped us be able to do it in a united way. We first of all selected three men by a secret ballot 
that were clearly not qualified to be elders, but that we said these ought to be the men not qualified to be elders that we respect the most to oversee the process. We got one very old man, he was probably even then 80 or more, who was very respected. He'd been a former elder, but one of his kids had fallen away, and I think no one would have considered him qualified. But he was very respected. There was another man who um, was younger and then me that were selected. And that was helpful because they did a good job in they didn't select people who were widely seen as biased. I think all three of us would not have been seen. They, the, the, those two didn't really take a side in the split. And so that was good. And then they worked out this procedure that I thought was really helpful. They basically wrote down the list of qualifications on a sheet of paper with spaces at the bottom. And they said, take this and write down the list of the people you think are qualified. Now, I don't think this was necessary, but we did. Say, go to the men and make sure they're willing to serve before you write down their names. Whatever. Um, so, then on a certain Sunday, by the end of the Sunday morning service, those all were to be collected and turned in. The three men that were selected were to tabulate the ballots. And the only men to be considered were men named on at least half of the ballots. That was really helpful. Because everybody knew when those men's names were put before the group, more than half of the brethren think they're qualified. We did not tell what the percentages were. Two of the ones that out of the three were from the two-thirds. One of them was from the one-third. The one from the one-third was like 50.2 or whatever. <laughs> but that was really helpful because that united the group a lot. And we said we left two or three weeks, four weeks, I don't remember, for objections. And we said, if you think these men are qualified, hey, go and talk to them. And see if you can resolve it. If you can't resolve it, then come to those three men. And together with them, see if it can be resolved. If it can't be, either the man withdrawing his name or the person withdrawing their objection, then present it to the group to decide. Uh, I think there was only one person who raised an objection and they did that directly to the man and that was resolved. And so after a certain period of time, that was reported. That was a really good procedure, I, I thought. I think it was very helpful. I think it helped us to work together and very interestingly, that group really united back. And I don't think those divisions are there at all. I think they really did a good job of, of erasing the hard feelings there were. I think that was an important step in that. And I think talking it through and working it through and getting consensus choices and being patient to try to develop a procedure that everyone thought was reasonable and respectable, giving time for people to make objections, Letting things be very, you know, everybody could be heard. Everybody had, you know, in every way. I think that really helped. And I think once those three men were appointed, they were respected. I think everybody accepted them. These are our elders. And it really worked out well. It was really, really good, uh, good situation. Were there other men that thought they were? There was one other man named on about 20% of the ballots. Um, however, I 
think he was telling people he did not want to be considered. I think that's why he wasn't named on more. I'm pretty sure there was another man who thought he ought to be, but he wasn't named on probably 5% of the ballots. Uh, it was pretty much, I mean, that was, that was good that there was nobody else even close after those three men. I personally did not think one of the men was qualified, uh, but there was, I had been there long, and it was not something just outrageous. He happened to be the one who got the most votes, and uh, I still, you know, think he probably wasn't the best qualified. Some of those things are relative. He wasn't a bad man, you know, and, and I recognized that my objections to him would be more in the area of relative qualifications. He certainly was not unsound, you know, I would have questioned his prudence and some things like that. Uh, but, but, you know, when I realized the majority, the vast majority of the group who's been with him for 50 years, you know, whatever, you know, thinks he is, then I certainly wasn't going to raise an objection in that situation. I thought the other two were, they were on my mouth. But that was really a, I think it was a, a good thing. I mean, I, I say that all that, some of those points may be helpful. That was actually a procedure that had essentially been used in the group the hall was. That's kind of where we got some of that. But, but I say that also to say, you know, we need to work together on these kinds of things. You know, pointing elders can either be helpful or harmful. It doesn't have to be a divisive thing. But it needs to be something where everybody's working constructively. Where we really love the Lord, we love each other, and we're willing to try to work out ways of doing this that are constructive, that are biblical, that are, are you know, well, we're just not ramrodding something. I really like the idea of we're letting the qualifications be the standard and we're working together on deciding who fits them. What else are we going to do? We're not, you know, I, I don't know how else we can, we can approach this. The qualifications need to be the, the emphasis and we're going to have to decide together who fits it. Well, other thoughts and comments on 2 verse 6. We're all the way through verse six. No, yeah, we've done well. I really thought we'd get into chapter four tonight. But <laughs> so see, that's not going to happen. So, did Debbie's question, your question? Yes. You, you felt like that was answered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the only question that would be relative, uh, qualification would be relative six. to the congregation, would be the new convert. I think all the others wouldn't make <laughs> a difference what group it was in. But a new convert, I think, would depend on how old the converts are in the group. I just think some groups, I'm thinking of one in particular, don't have very high standards. <laughs> <That's all. laughs> yeah, well, that's probably true. nobody here. It's just <laughs> yeah, well, you're right. That's what I said. You know, groups will get the kind of elders that... Which is why I thought you could possibly have one, a group, you know, a group of elders that another group would have a different, the relativity... I just think some groups have unqualified elders. That's what I really think. I think there's a lot of groups. I think there's a lot of groups who don't have qualified Christians. <laughs> you know, I mean, really. The congregation I'm thinking of? <laughs> yeah. So they tend to set the bar lower than what I think the Lord did. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, why? I mean, Church Ryan is a prime example. I mean, why don't we have elders? You know, they haven't grown good Christians. You know, it's terrible. It's a shame. It shouldn't be that way. But it is. And, you know, I don't think, you know, I mean, the older men in the group that have been there during the whole time, I 
are just not men who fit those qualifications <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination in my judgment. And I think in the judgment of virtually everybody else in the group. But that's a shame. It shouldn't be the point. Would you see anything at all to the idea of the evangelist deciding who's qualified and appointing them? Well, I think it's interesting that the apostles in Acts 6 said that for the church to select those seven. I kind of think that might need to be considered as a pattern when we have very little indication otherwise. And, I mean, I don't see how an evangelist could think that he would be able to determine whether or not these men are qualified better than the consensus group. And, and when we see evangelists doing this, they often aren't in the groups. They're traveling often, even. So how are they going to know? I mean, I knew a group that I believe did this. They asked a traveling, an evangelist who was passing through, to appoint their elders. They wanted three, and they had six possibilities, and asked the uh, evangelist to choose. <laughs> he refused and said, no, you've got to choose. And all of and that was many years ago. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, especially if you didn't know the group, how could you tell? And even if you did, would you know the group as well as the consensus would know the group? <laughs> Obviously, these questions are a little bit difficult because we don't have an exact procedure specified. And also with that is whether the group would accept what you appoint. If they won't, there's you've done no good to appoint yeah, someone. The won't be led. Right. I mean, obviously, too, in that you can't have the person saying, hey, I fit all these. Make me an elder. I agree. So, I mean, that would be the same situation if the group doesn't agree or decide that they meet all of those then it does no good for anyone else to decide that. Well, absolutely. And, you know, those are touchy issues. You know, if, if you know, you think you are and they don't think you are, you know, that can be really um, embarrassing and what, what can make you angry, you know. And I think, probably that's a sure sign that somebody's not qualified. <laughs> you know, I respected my friend, uh, who I told I didn't think was qualified for the fact that he wasn't upset about that. It made me think he was closer to qualified than I thought. <laughs> you know? I mean, never, never ever was, was uh, you know, upset with me about that. I was just trying to be honest with him. So the, for every uh, nominee, we need to go to him and say, you're not qualified. So well, I respond. It would be very interesting. <laughs> well, I mean, I knew a situation. Uh, it's been a long time ago. Most of, I don't think anybody here would now know about it. But I knew a situation many, many years ago where basically a man basically said, um, you better appoint me when you appoint elders or there'll be trouble. <laughs> and so they did, and there was trouble. <laughs> You don't appoint a guy because he thinks he ought to be, or to keep peace, you know. And I think, you know, maybe if I am willing to allow my name to be put before brethren, I ought to only do it if I'm humble enough to listen to their evaluation of me. I that would be that would be difficult. 
you know, wow. I mean, I had a person come to me a while back uh, in a situation where uh, the potential existed for him to be considered as an elder. And I know this person very well. And there were some question marks he had, but one of them was, well, do you consider me to be qualified? And he said, this is really hard for me. He said, you know me well, and I'd like to have your opinion. It's going to be really hard for me to listen, so be as gentle as you can. But I need your honest opinion. Well, I thought that was pretty honest on his part. Um, I do think he's qualified, from what I know. And I was able to say that. But it would have made it, I mean, I realized, man, if I was ever in that situation, wow, that would be hard. It would probably be helpful to me. It would probably be helpful to all of us if some good brethren would uh, tell us, you know, rate us on some of these things. I mean, you know, it, it, would, it would help us see our weaknesses probably better than we do now. And we probably need more openness about these kind of things. We probably need to be the kind of people who, people are willing to come to us and say, I think you're struggling with this. You know, but, but that would take a lot of humility. <laughs> you know, just a good man to do that. But that's what it's going to have to be. I mean, it's going to have to be a situation where I'm willing to be thought of as unqualified and take that well and be be thankful that the group was conscientious and following the Lord's will and maybe learn some things I need to work on. And, you know, accountability with somebody is always something that's so great and so helpful in, in just our regular life. I mean, I, I am very close to a young man that we hold each other accountable, and it's so it's so good because both of us have the humility to listen to each other. If we see we're struggling with something, we'll, we'll sit down and listen. We won't. We'll say, no, no, I, here's what I was really mean, or, or try and go back on it, or whatever. We've got the openness of heart, him more than I, to listen to what to what we to what we, we think we might be struggling on, or know that we're struggling with. And it's so helpful to have that kind of a friendship and relationship with people that you can be completely honest with them, not not mean or not nasty about it, but being honest and saying, I think you need to work on this area, and then together working on it. Such a blessing. It, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a good point just in general. It might be wise if I was coming close to being considered to be appointed as an elder to go to three or four people I really respect in the group and say, what do you honestly think? That might might, might avoid some more difficult situations. And I thought it was tough getting teacher evaluation forms. <laughs> <laughs> Anything like that is hard. That, I mean, uh, some people uh, don't kind of take that in stride. But I think for most of us, you know, being evaluated in any sense is really just very difficult to, to take. I mean, you know, we're all pretty sensitive. Uh, most of us are. And, and those things are hard. Being accountable to each other is hard. Having somebody who says, I don't think you're doing well with this. Man, it's really difficult. It's really helpful. But it's really hard. I think we we see how much we need to humble ourselves and how much we need to forget ourselves, you know, when we think about how hard that is. But like many things, that just takes practice. I mean, I've worked at the same place for 20 years. I've been through 20 year-end reviews and 20 mid-year reviews. Wow. You know, I'm used to getting feedback. And some of it's pretty honest, and some of it's just kind of, well, let's get this over with. <laughs> but, you know, after a while... You expect somebody's going to get, you know, name a couple of things that you need to work on. And most of the time, you already know that. You know. 
but sometimes that's the worst, you know. But, but yeah, you know that first time you, you don't like to hear that, and then the second time it's like, okay, I know what's coming. I know I know how to deal with this. So I think if we're more engaged in that, it will become easier. Maybe not easy. And, and certainly beneficial. Very beneficial. Right. If we're trying to grow to be more like the Lord, then it's helpful to us. The last one in, in verse 7, he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and, and the snare of the devil. Um, you know, the non-Christians have to think well of him. Um, in the sense of, you know, he's a man of integrity, he's a man of honesty, he's a man of good character. Uh, if, if he's got a bad reputation for being <coughs> whatever, a cheater or a drunk awesome. or whatever. We don't even know enough about the men of the congregation to know how to <coughs> perceive them. Which might require references or names to be given to follow up. Why not? Why not have three names of some people you work with and give me the names of your neighbors and give me... I mean, like for John, John for instance, I only know him in the context <laughs> of church-related things, which is great. And I would just assume that everybody likes John. But you don't really know what kind of life he uses at work. Yeah, that, and what, that's, few neighbors he has? I've never spoken with him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had never thought of references, but yeah, that makes sense to me. Well, how is she going to know? Well, you know, obviously there would be some places, small towns and things like that, okay. where the community already does know. Yeah. You already yeah. know pretty much everybody yeah. they know. Go check their city hall records. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in, in big cities. Police report, wow. newspaper. We don't have that kind of lot of stuff. Back on the, uh, can, I, can I go back? Mm -hmm. uh, able to teach. Yeah. What, what's your what's your measuring stick there? <clears throat> Knows the word and he can communicate it to others. And I think he's got to have a good Bible knowledge. I think he's got to be able to, to impart that in a way that's edifying to others. I'm really not. I don't think the point of that, I mean, always are thinking about, well, okay, has he ever taught a Bible class? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, if he's going to refute the false teachers, you know, he's probably going to have to be able to have the courage to teach a Bible class, but I don't think that's the main point. I think the main point is, is he a teacher? Is he somebody who, who knows the Word and, and he's able to, you know, impart it to others because he's going to, that's his role, that's what he's going to be doing, you know? Does it mean physically teach, as in... Yes. Okay, teaching. I think so. I don't know if you meant like teaching by example, teaching by what? I think teaching verbally. Yeah. <coughs> Since we're going backwards, I've been debating whether to try to. <laughs> <laughs> we're really backwards. Okay, I think idiotic. This is should be elementary, but I just want to ask it because when it talks about managing your children, keeping them under control, managing your household. Many men who are qualified to be elders have grown children. I mean, age dictates the grown children. But if one of them has a rebellious child, and you point that out, a lot of times they say something to the effect of, that child is no longer part of my household. You know, it means my household at home, but there aren't any children there anymore. And the management of that person's household may not have actually been very good 
children are all grown now and maybe, you know, a plurality or majority of them are Christians <laughs> and one or two might not be. I mean, you know, where do you... If you got a scoundrel for a kid at any age, it probably shows that you aren't qualified. Well, scoundrel... Uh, but I don't think it makes any difference whether they're still at home. I'm rebellious against God to me. I mean... Well, you know what? This kid is a scoundrel. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know that they all have to be Christians. But whether or not they're living at home or not, I think some of them have to be. And I don't think any of them can be, um, have outrageous conduct. That would be my take on Titus. Really what he says here is he just has to have done a good job of dealing with his kids. Uh, but I think Titus would say, and the results have to be, that he's got faithful children, and that his children are not, you know, wild. Would it have been more common for the family to stay together <coughs> longer? I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Would this in any way indicate that he would have young children still at home? I don't know that it necessarily would. I don't think, by the way, that if a man, I, I would be firmer on this one, I don't think if he's got six kids and four of them are Christians and two of them are infants that it would disqualify him because he's got a couple of infant children. You know, uh, I, I, I think, you know, even if you thought, took the position all of them had to be Christians, obviously not the ones who are underage. So I do think, though, that he needs to be an older man. I don't think he should be relatively young. I think he should be relatively old. I think that's relative. <laughs> Let me ask this question. I don't want I don't want the answer to the question, but I just want the general thought. In general, do you have an age in your head? No, not really. I think it depends on the the age of the group. I mean, I think it would be older in the U.S. than it is in Brazil. Okay. The average lifespan is so much longer here than it is there. Okay. And, and it has to be a relative. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say that I have been a member of congregations where the elders have been young enough to have full-time jobs, and I have been fortunate enough to be at a congregation where the elders are retired <coughs> and not pursuing worldly things. I've also been in a congregation where the elders were retired but pursuing golf and um, rental properties and things like that. And it is a, a tremendous blessing to have elders who have the time and the heart for serving as elders. Amen. And that does kind of require an age at which you have the time to do it. Or church support. Yes. Which is also, I think, perfectly appropriate. Uh -huh. What about the situation of someone who arguably is knowledgeable of the word and able to communicate it, but given a, you know someone who disagrees or an, an argument, you know a disagreement that comes about, and the person rather than you know responding in a violent or aggressive way, basically clams up. Yeah, I don't think he can do that because you know what 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 Titus one night. Holding fast the faith of the Lord, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict, 
For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, etc., who, who must be silenced. Because there are different reactions to confrontation. And m- most often we think of becoming violent and aggressive and so forth. But then there's the other. I'm just going to withdraw. I don't. I, I, think, I think that would violate Titus 1. And I probably should quit here. But um, I can come next week. So if you want to do this next week, I'll do it next week. <coughs> And then I won't come on Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve.